As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the Athletic Baseball Show. Tim McMaster here. Regular listeners know this is normally the mailbag edition with Ken Rosenthal. We're going to take a break from the mailbag this time around for something I think you're really going to enjoy. Ken and Evan Drellick sat down for their first on-the-record conversation about the Astros cheating scandal since they broke the story over three years ago. The occasion is Evan's new book, Winning Fixes Everything, which goes even deeper into the Astros organization under Jim Crane. So without further ado, here's Ken. All right, we are proud today, privileged to be joined by my friend, the author, Evan Drellick of Winning Fixes Everything. So we're going to do a little bit of a different show this week, not a mailbag. We'll be back with that next time around. But we really wanted to have Evan on the podcast. Obviously, the project that he has undertaken and had undertaken for the past couple of years, really, was a labor, not always a labor of love, but... The product is incredible, and I encourage everyone to read the book. And we're going to talk today about the book. We're going to talk about the story. And really, neither of us has ever spoken about this together. We've not spoken about this together. No, we not in any setting. We've talked about it individually at times, and we have really refrained even from doing that until now because we never wanted to discuss the process of the story, how it was done, Evan was kind of saving it for the book, and at the time, we had no interest in discussing how we got that story and why we did it the way we did. But now, with time passing and with the book coming out, we can do that. But Evan, first of all, welcome. Great to have you. I'm just glad you you got my last name right. Every time I, you know, the publisher has me doing a bunch of different ones, and every time I I say, oh, just so you know, it's it's Drellick, not Drellich. So I'm I'm just glad you got my last name right, Ken. I believe, Evan, I asked you that early in our relationship. <laughs> How do you pronounce your last name? And you told me, and mercifully, I did not forget it. So anyway, I want to start with just kind of how you came about doing this story, because it predates your time at The Athletic, and you explain it in the book, and actually the excerpt that we ran at The Athletic, 
went into it, but it really strikes me just from a writing standpoint that there was something about what happened with the Astros that you could not get out of your head. And sometimes that happens with writers. It doesn't always produce a story. But in this case, Evan, what was that process like from the time you were still in Boston to the time you joined The Athletic? Well, you remember, I I didn't walk in the door and you and I started on this path right away. I had been fired and most of the facts we end up having uh, were, were already in, in the notebook and we needed more confirmation once we, we did get after it. But you know, I try to think back to that 2019 period and the Astros were still so good on the field. It, it was a little bit of, I think, a feeling of who's going to believe me. And, and, and you know, I, I don't know if I've expressed this to you directly, Um but you did believe me. You believed the reporting I had. And certainly, you know, you ended up having conversations that uh, validated it for you directly. But I, I think I was shell-shocked a little bit, right? You know, so there was this 13-month gap between finding out in the 2018 ALCS what the Astros had done the year before in 17 to the point that you and I get the story done. And, uh, you know, I, I never forgot about it. Um, I think you're right. It was under my skin but I, don't, I think it was also rightfully under my skin. I mean, based on how large the reaction was, you know, it, it, it was a story that it just eats a hole in you. Like, you know, you, 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 it's not every day or really ever you come across a World Series winning team that cheated. And, you know, I, it's weird. It, it, it makes me – I talk about it in interviews and I'm talking about it here. But, like, I don't love thinking about that period in the sense that it's scary to think about, well, what if you never got it done? Does it come out? Does it come out at all? Does somebody else get it? When does it come out? You know, it's there, there, there's that sliding doors question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was in a way, I, I hope I've been saying this in a few interviews lately because I, I've only been thinking about it a little more lately. You know, if that's if the sign stealing doesn't happen, I don't know if people believe all the crazy crap that's going on behind the scenes at the Astros right, in, in this hypothetical world. Um, and th I think that's a little bit what I was faced with and maybe why, you know, I didn't walk in the door on day one and say, Ken, let's go after this right now. You know, it's it's are people even going to believe it? And, and I it, because everybody's so bottom line focused, well, they're winning. They must be great. Yeah, but th there's something else there. I remember you mentioning it to me shortly after you joined us. Now, when was that? What month did you join us in 19? I, I think my contract literally officially started in May. There was something where we were launching. I, I remember, like, I think I was on the payroll for a week before I wrote my first story. I think my first story ran in June. I do. I remember mentioning it to you, I think probably in passing, and I remember mentioning it to one of our editors, um, and that was before I got hired, but it never became a part of the process. I mean, I guess if I was smart, like, I mean, thankfully you and the athletic wanted me there anyway, right? But in hindsight, I should have been like, Hey, look what I can walk in the door with. Um, <laughs> that's right. But I, but that's, I do remember talking about it possibly during your interview process. I just, just you mentioning it, Yeah, but we didn't pick up on it really. I know I had to get through the postseason that year and the story published in November, early November, Yeah, but that period in November, that was the intense period where we really completed the reporting that you had done. We confirmed things and we kind of brought it to life. 
And the story ran November 12th, which was shortly after the postseason. Right. That was before the time when the postseason ran into November. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's how it went down. And also, I remember this, Evan, and I want you to tell the story. When the story broke, we were at the GM's meetings in Scottsdale, Arizona. We were at a hotel. I believe it was the Omni Resort. All the GMs were there. And this thing came out. And you said to me, this will be the biggest story I ever write. And I looked at you and I said, what are you talking about, man? There'll be plenty of stories down the line. I did not sense what this was. I don't know if it was just at the end. We were so intensely trying to get this out there and get it right. I just did not grasp the breadth of it. But you did. And you did because you had known this for so long and you knew what it meant. And that was part of the beauty of getting that thing done and getting it out there. Yeah, and, and I think we had gone we were we were into the reporting certainly heavily at least I was, I think, by October. I had done a piece on the Astros culture, you know, during the postseason. And I think that postseason again there were all these signs stealing things. So I think we picked it up. Um I, I, I wish I I would remember exactly when we we really dug into it, but you know, somewhere in there. Um, yeah, I look, I don't think I knew exactly what was going to come from it. Like, you know, I didn't sit there and think, yes, four years later from, from now, Ken and I will be doing a podcast and I will have written a book about this. You know, I don't think either of us, we were so, we were so deep into trying to figure out the story, but yes, I did think it was major. And I think the other thing that made it, you know, you and I, I think we're, rightly concerned about acknowledging what we didn't know at the time, right? We, we, we you know, we, we, we thought this was severe and, it, and in the end, all the evidence points to it being the most severe that we know, but we were concerned about context. That's why the top of the story was trying to establish that, you know, there is a fuller context here and we're not exactly uh, sure of it. And so I, it might, it might've been a little hard for us and, and for you to sit there and judge, well, if there is a sense that everybody's doing it, and it turns out in hindsight, I mean, I guess, you know, years later, we could find out that somebody was doing something worse than the Astros. But it turns out that um, they were a cut or, or several steps above what everybody else was doing. So I think that was, you know, and it, it, we don't know how, how MLB is going to treat it. You know, maybe they try to brush it aside. There are all these unknowns about it. But, yeah, I, I, I do remember that. I think we were toward kind of that back area. Maybe where where MLB Network had its little setup, you know, and that that was that was a weird day. It was weird to be at the GM meetings when when it came out, which was we should probably tell people entirely coincidence. It was not timed so that it came out right then. It's just when the story got done. And one thing I want to mention before we get more into the book, a lot of Astros fans in particular over the years have said, "Hey, hey, hey, why were we the focus? You guys, us." you, Evan, me, said in the initial story, there is a broad story about this era of baseball that is yet to be told. That was the first sentence. And we also wrote in the third paragraph, electronic sign stealing is not a single team issue. Right. And what I've tried to explain to people over the years, Evan, is that we later found that the Red Sox made use of the video room. And you, in the book, reveal that other teams did as well. The Red Sox did after the Apple Watch incident, which was kind of the dividing line between we're not really paying attention to this and we are. But there were other teams as well. And yes, I know 
that over the years there have been random ex-players, current players on Twitter who said this team did that. But there was a really high standard and should be a high standard, by the way, for reporting something like this. You can't just go on three people. I, I think that happened. No, we had to have people that actually knew. And in the case of the Astros, we ended up getting people on the record who were witnesses to it. One opponent and one player right. who was with the Astros. Mike Fires, of course. So it wasn't for lack of effort. And I think the book reveals a little bit more, maybe a lot more, I guess, about just what was going on in the sport. But the beauty of the book, in my opinion, is that it is so much more than that story. It is really the story of the Astros under Jim Crane and the culture that was created. And I don't know how you view it, Evan, but it almost seemed like not that a sign-stealing scandal was inevitable, but certainly when you read the book, to me, you gain a better understanding of why this would happen with this particular team. And I wonder how you see it. Yeah, I mean, I tell people that there's a baseball on the cover of the book, but it's really a management culture book that has a baseball setting. And it's really explaining, well, how did we get here? Why did we get here? What were the forces involved? And that's why there is reporting on other teams and there is reporting on the commissioner's office. You know, it's not it is not a sign stealing book. It explains sign stealing and reviews reveals new information about it. But it takes a while to get to sign stealing in the book because I, I do think it, it was it inevitable. I think something was inevitable, right? It, it was not an accident that the Astros not only had the sign stealing scandal, but also had the Brandon Taubman incident where he gets fired for yelling in the clubhouse. There was a bunch of other stuff that went on. Uh, in that organization, and and you start to see how all these events and approaches and philosophies start playing in together, and it, it, I think it it does reveal how all of this was culturally based. You know that doesn't remove accountability for other individuals, people in the clubhouse, coaching staff, etc. But you know, I, I start that 17 chapter. It, it might be hard to say the Astros were the team most likely to start cheating, I do think there was not a team worse prepared to stop cheating than the Astros. The, the communication was thin. P relationships were strained. You know, you could kind of look everywhere. Technology was everywhere. It was a very bottom line driven organization, wins and profits. You put it all together. That That's that's a recipe for what, what you got. And this is kind of the extreme outcome of what you would got, but it goes back to that point I, I was making earlier where even if you don't have the sign stealing, all this other stuff is going on. And, and you know, it takes sometimes the major event, or really in a way, the Osuna trade and, and the Taubman incident is the first time people start looking at the Astros kind of with a eyebrow raised. And I, I've said this on, on a couple others, but it's true. Like, you know, uh, when I pass away, hopefully many, many years from now, but you never know. Uh, I assume yes, there will be, be a two, you know, two line obituary, and uh, he and Ken Rosenthal broke the Astros story, and and I so I, you know, it's it is the biggest story I certainly have to date, and I presume it w will remain so. I, I am almost as proud, and potentially, you know, I don't want to say more proud, but but I, I could have a conversation about it, a story I did in 2014 where it was really the first story to report on 
the management culture and these questions that were growing about how the Astros were operating behind the scenes. And, you know, the fact that I was, uh, you know, years ahead of other people realizing like, huh, something's up here. You know, I, I, I and you were at the Houston Chronicle at the time covering the team. Yes. And people should know there's nothing more difficult than writing that kind of story about the team you're covering yeah. because the team can basically shut you down and you did it. Yeah. I, and it was there was, a, you know, management hated me, but other people and you've you live this and, and reinforce it all the time. You know, you, you reveal and write what's actually going on. Some people are going to be mad at you, but others are going to. Uh, trust in you because you are willing to write what others aren't when it's real. I'm not talking about, you know, going somewhere nobody else is just for the sake of it. I'm talking about stuff that's actually there and, and needs to be um, gotten to. So, yeah, I, I look back. It's, it's the management culture of the Astros is really the book. Yes. It, it, it and, and to an extent, the broader, um, context of MLB you know it's you can see the parallels in the book Rob Manfred brings in McKinsey and company to reorganize Major League Baseball where did Jeff Luno come from McKinsey and company what does he do bring in McKinsey and company to evaluate baseball operations you know there are parallels with these agents of change throughout looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 u.s-based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, Evan, I've never written a book like this. I don't know that I would have the patience to, to be perfectly honest. I am someone, as a writer, that I like to be productive. And when I go a couple of days without being in The Athletic or before that FoxSports.com, before that Sporting News and Baltimore Sun, I kind of lose my mind. It's not a good thing. It's not a healthy thing. It's not something I'm proud of. It's just the way I'm wired. Throughout this process, I kind of not live this with you, but I certainly was aware of how it was going for you and how difficult it was. Yeah. And I was wondering if you can share with the audience just the challenge of getting this thing done, even though you had this vast knowledge that you brought to it, getting it to completion was not an easy task. Yeah, I wish you'd done it with me. Maybe the next one we can do together. Um but you were you yeah. were quite smart not to. No, look, you were you were there. I mean, you're putting it kind of gently. I mean, you you were there and you lived through that period, right? I disappeared a couple times, and thankfully the athletic was was willing to let me. You know, it was kind of combination. One of them was like a straight up book leave, and the other one was like it's a book leave, but also I'm losing my mind. You know, a bit of a mental health break. It it, it really did become a second job, and you know, I, I, people would would ask. It, the book was initially intended to to come out sooner. 
and and usually sports books you can, you can kind of turn them around quicker but this this is a different type of sports book it's really investigative reporting and uh years of of different events and people and it goes back to the card it's just it was a lot you know and I, and um it was very hard for me to separate because I am like you and I, and I, I think this is probably a conditioning of having come up as a beat writer. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you, you, you see it coming from somewhere else, but you know, for years and years, I, my kind of work function was you go, you write your, you had daily output, you know, you, you go yes. to the game, notebook, whatever. Right. And, and you have a sense of completion and a sense of success. And I mean, even in the day job now at the athletic, it's different. It, it's you know when it, when you when you're working on a story for a week or two, it can start to drive me crazy, um, you know. And it's it's something I I've adjusted to, but not fully adjusted to. And it was just so much, you know. I I remember I, there was a period there where I was just constantly telling myself, "It'll be over someday. It'll be over," <laughs> you know. And now it is, and I and I do get to enjoy it, and like I, I feel like I can kind of re-enter the world and try to live my life a little bit it was my age 32 to eight, my age 32 to 35 seasons here and you know all my <laughs> friends I, I shouldn't oh now you're over the hill no baseball team would pay you no I, well you know I, actually I, that's not even true anymore that's changed I, I don't know if i've joked with with you about this but the, like i do tell people everybody around me you know is kind of in my age bracket not everybody but a large number is uh, either married has a kid or has a house or some combination all thereof well, I've got a book, you know. I mean, so it yeah, look, it took a lot and I'm I'm very thankful for you helping me through it, talking me off the proverbial ledge and and others as well because um you know, some people could could do it, could handle it differently. You know, some people are just wired to be able to kind of I'm going to get my 1000 words done a day and I, you know, I'm kind of a tunnel vision guy. I I needed that runway of this is all I'm focusing on and uh Somehow we we made it through, and there was a lockout in the middle. <laughs> yes, there was, so that kind of interrupted the procedure. Now, what was the difficult, most difficult moment? Would you say for you in getting this book to completion? That's a really interesting question. You know, my editor told me we had dinner, and he was it was a dinner where I think it was the first time we'd actually met. So this is November of twenty one. And it was basically a dinner of like, hey, good to meet you. If you don't get this book done in six months, like we're, we're going to ask for the advance back. That was basically the subtle message the guy was delivering to me. And, and, and he, I mean, it, you know, it wasn't quite that strong, but, but it wasn't not that strong. Um, you know, it was, it was lighting a little bit of a fire. Sometimes you need a little kick. There was a period, it was right around here, it was right before the lockout. I didn't get much done during the lockout. And, and maybe if I had... The book comes out in 22 instead of 23. And in the end, I actually think the book came out at a great time. And you kind of had this uh, coda of Click getting fired after they win again. And there's a little bit of renewed attention on the Astros because they won again. So I'm actually very happy with when it came out. Um, but there was a period there once I got once I got through the first draft. I had gone away to Joshua Tree for a month, hold myself up in January of 21 to start writing the thing and got through you know the first draft of the first five or six chapters. So toward the end of that year, I've I've gotten kind of a first draft done. Ed, the editor, great guy, Eric. He, he you know he might not have been super fast to turn it around, and I got I just got paralyzed in editing. And what he said to me, he he had never had somebody before who, 
You, know, you had people who were slow in the manuscript, but not who were who were kind of not getting the edit back in. And it was very it became very difficult for me to sift through it and look through it. It, it was it was very anxiety uh, producing. I think constantly thinking about all the remaining steps after I had gotten a lot of the steps done. Right, like you get this draft done, and you feel like you're there, and then you're really not there. You know, you, you, you there, there's several rounds of edits, and um, you know that that took months of 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 doing the edits. But there was a period there where I was just not editing. And, you know, the lockout kind of uh, use that as an excuse. But, um, yeah, there was something. It's difficult, right? Like you you think you you know it's going to cause some controversy. You know there's going to be a tension on it. There's so many facts in the book. You want every fact to be right. There's a million like it's infinite narrative choices. I could start any section in any which way I could lead with, uh, you know, whatever, like like. One of the narrative things that that troubled me or slowed me was, I don't know if it slowed me, but where do I reveal that Chris Correa had hacked into the Cardinals? Everybody who's a baseball fan would know this, right? I could say it right up front when I first inter- introduced this idea of the Astros have been hacked, or I could wait a few chapters and, and you know, put a little suspense around it, right? And so you have all these millions of choices and millions of facts, and, and it just it became very paralyzing for me. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's a specific enough answer, but that—that's where my mind goes. Is back to it's—it's it's that first round of edits where I just was like, I can't. I—I I don't have anything left. The tank is empty. No. Actually, that is the answer, and I sort of anticipated you would describe it like that, and I just really asked because it's interesting to me, and I think important for people to know that these things aren't easy. And it looks like sometimes, ah, this guy writes books, whatever, he got that done, he wrote the Astro story, it's not like that. And you live these stories, you live a book, and it can eat you up a little bit. Now, on the flip side of that, now it's out. You are doing a ton of interviews. Yeah. You've gotten excerpted in some big publications, and there is, in my view, a lot of attention on the book and good attention. Attention for the right reasons. People are seeing it for what it is. They're not blowing it out of proportion. They're not saying this is a hit job on the Astros. Well, maybe some people in Houston are, but they're never going to get over it. Right. And they understand what you set out to accomplish and what you did accomplish. So that being said, what are your emotions right now? Yeah, somebody asked me something like this the other day, and – I think so. So this past week was relatively busy, right? We had Red Sox camp responding to some stuff in the book because Red Sox reporters asked Dodgers camp some stuff. Um, I was sitting in in uh, Dunedin, and somebody somebody asked the commissioner about my book, right? And and Rob, uh, in in actually a playful moment before answering, says, "Who wrote that book?" Right? And it's you know it, it's it makes you feel sheepish, but I, I'm you know I'm, I I'm I, I, look, I see a lot of the reactions. It's not like I'm not aware of what is being said. You're curious about it. it it's just natural. You want to know how people are responding. Um, but I, I do feel like he, the hardest thing about the three years, and I think you 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 kind of sympathize with this with me, is 
got all these other people talking about it and, and explaining what happened or explaining how we got the story, you know, all these things chiming in. And it was difficult for me to sit on my hands. And so what I'm glad about now is, is it, it's just out. It's out in the world. And if you want to hate it, okay, hate it. If, if you think it's great reporting, great. I really hope you do. Um, I th- I, I'm, I'm pretty at peace with it. You know, it's, uh, you could work on a book forever. You could keep going and editing and editing and, and tweak the next sentence. And oh, you started that paragraph with now and you'd started the paragraph before with now. Why would you do that? You're so dumb. You know, but at some point, it's, you just got to get it out. And I, I think it reached the point of completion and I, I feel good about it. And I'm, I'm just glad that people can see the full story. And that includes understanding our process. You know, you know, how did this come about? And um, yeah, so and, and a little bit that point I made earlier, I, I, age 32 to age 35 seasons, uh, you know, I, I need to get back on my Peloton. You know, like it, it's a little <laughs> bit of like reentering the real world. It, it, it feels like um, I guess a bit of a, you know, a relief or just kind of a, a you know, something off the shoulders. Yes, of course. Now, I know there is not one answer to this question, but which details, newly reported details, do you feel were the most meaningful? Yeah, it's a tough question because, you know, there's so many it, – it's such a collection of things. Like, is, is the eye exam that the, the Astro say George Springer is coming to Houston for in 2013 – uh, when he was not coming to Houston for an eye exam, they were bringing him there to present him a contract offer uh, in isolation from his agent. They were trying to get him away from his agent at the time, who's Greg Gensky. Um, you know, is that uh, more impactful than um, Jim Crane, according to an Astros employee, saying because of uh, his past and the, the discrimination charges that had been brought against his outside company, Eagle Global Logistics, um, we can't fire black people, right? You know, there's there's a lot of little things in this book that, as I was re- reporting it and writing it, I would just go, "Wow, this is wild!" You know, like like who, you know, <laughs> it it and frankly, that was part of the hard part in the three years. Like you have all this stuff, and it's and it's um and you want it out. And you, you just you, you know you can only work so fast. Um, I, I think. If, I guess if I had to point to one thing, um, at a high level, the difference between the narrative publicly and the narrative other reporters put out there about the Astros and what was actually happening. For example, um, there was there was a really big fight in, in the front office about how do the Astros keep innovating, and there were really two factions. We only heard, ever heard really about one faction. It was about Jeff Luno, the GM, and Sigmidel, the the uh, right-hand man of Luno, and there were these three others, Mike Fast, who's with the Braves, Brandon Taubman, who's out of baseball, and Pete Patillo is now with the Giants, who you know, were really in the later years leading the charge. And, and I think it, it just struck me, um, you know, nobody had reported that McKinsey and company had been with, involved with the Astros baseball operations in 2017 until I did in 2019, right? You have a World Series winning team. You have this cheating scheme going on, and inside of the same season, you have this really controversial thing going on inside the front office where McKinsey's brought in, and everybody's angry about it, and 
it, it just there's a quote in the book where one of the front office people says, I really think the McKinsey report is what ended up leading to the destruction of the Astros front office. And so I'm sitting there going, how do the dis, how do you reconcile the disconnect between what's actually happening and this public narrative? You know, it, 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 it teaches me and how little we know and, and, and um, how much effort and time it takes to really get under the hood. You know, it's very difficult to reconcile. I, I mean, you know, you and I, I think, are, are better than most about getting to the bottom of what's going on in, in, in baseball. We're only getting a sliver, right? You know, it's 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 and, and I think that really what was really going on in 17, the you know, the fighting between A.J. Hinch and Alex Cor. I mean, it's just crazy. The 2017 and 2014 seasons in Houston are wild and, and nobody really knew quite how wild they were. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the nano experience a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. I didn't know. And the reason I asked you that question was because I learned so much reading it. I, there were things, many, many things in there that we never discussed, not because you were withholding them. They were just things you were putting in the book and we were rolling along. Yeah, you, you had other things to forward. deal with. I mean, yeah, I mean. Well, that's also true. But I mean, there's a wealth of fresh reporting and new details and it kind of makes the book that much better. The narrative alone is fascinating, right? We all get that. But the amount of reporting that you brought to it, that to me was the coup de grace and it makes it just really good. Now, when this is made into a movie, we've discussed this before, <laughs> let's discuss it publicly. 
When this is made into a movie, and I certainly hope it is. <laughs> Who plays Evan Drellick? I'm very complex and complicated, Ken. I don't, you know, we'd have to really be. <laughs> it's got to be a brooding guy. It's got to be some brooding actor. Sean Penn back in the day, maybe not now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, someone's a little, uh, looks. yeah, that, no, that would, that's not the worst idea. Andy McCullough had a suggestion <laughs> that I'm now forgetting. Oh, uh, uh, was John Malkovich? I've gotten John Malkovich a couple times. But I think he's a little too old for me. Who do you want to play you? <laughs> I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I haven't thought that much about it. It's got to have to be someone short, obviously. No, you know, we, you know, that doesn't matter. Yeah, it kind of does. I mean, Dustin Hoffman maybe back in the day, uh, probably not now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know, we need somebody to play Andy. And by the way, I want to mention something Andy said. The the day before, excuse me, the story broke and we were going through a very intense editing process. And one of the things that this story taught me among many is just what an amazing place the athletic can be when we are collaborating and clicking and functioning at the highest level, when our people are working together. And yes, our names are on the story, but Emma Spann was the editor, and she worked her butt off on it. Yeah. Paul Fichtenbaum was involved as well. He's our, at the time, our main content editor, the boss, the guy who put this thing together. And then we also were showing the story to different writers just to get their opinion. We wanted them to have some kind of input. We were just trying to make sure it was as good as it can be. And Andy, when he read the story, I don't know if you remember this, Evan, he said, what the heck are you guys doing? <laughs> The story is Mike Fires saying on the record that these guys cheated. Right. And that's not how we wrote the story. Right. We wrote the story from this broader perspective in part because there were people telling us at the time, don't make the Astros the focus of this. They're not the only ones. Right. And we knew that and we wanted to be fair. But I'll never forget Andy saying that. And from a strictly journalistic perspective, if you're just looking for the pure news of that, yes, Fire should have been the lead. But that wasn't the way we wrote it, and we didn't write it that way for a reason. And it's funny, Evan. I know you just mentioned how in the book there are so many choices to make about narrative and how to start chapters and all that. But in all of the stories we do together, there are a ton of choices too, and we go back and forth like no nothing Word else. choices. And yeah. that story was not was no different. Yeah, the um, yeah, right. You, you, I've I've heard I've heard some of our dear, dear colleagues and friends suggest. Well, you you buried you not in this, these words. I think I'm using these words. You buried the lead in the biggest story of your life. It might be true. Well, that's what Andy was kind of saying. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in hindsight, it is possible we were too deferential, but we were doing it out of um everything we we could ascertain at the time, and we were trying to be fair. You know, if we were going to air, restrained. we aired on the side of fairness. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if I ever told you this. I probably did at the time. But, you know what? I went to a college that had a basketball scandal. And I wasn't like this rah-rah college basketball guy. Really not at all. I never really cared much about college sports. But I remember reading the reporting. And even before the, we did the Astro story, I think I had like a Facebook post about this. It always stuck with me. I was annoyed by the reporting on it. Not because it, what, there wasn't some good reporting on it. There was. It entirely lacked context. It was college basketball program did bad things shame on you and here's the bad thing without any consideration or explanation of 
what what was the systemic um creation of this you know what what led to this how did we get here is this behavior different than other schools right it was you broke a rule and you're bad and and i and i i'm proud that our report you know we did go after the red sox that we that we kept trying and the book does it too to look at uh the broader context and you know sometimes that gets taken to be an excuse uh for Astros fans. And you know, I think that's one of the reasons the story still prompts debate is it's messy. It's not super tidy and clean. I, I, I am of the opinion what the Astros were doing. And I think most people in the industry are of the opinion that it was more egregious and perhaps by several lengths than what anybody else was doing. But you can have a debate about whether any cheating is equivalent to any other form of cheating. And, you know, it, it's, um, it was never perfectly tidy. Uh, it was never going to be. We have not heard otherwise. We have not heard there was another team doing it to that extent. Now, I feel comfortable saying this now. We did hear at the time of other teams that were involved in similar kinds of things. One of them I thought we were really close to getting, and we never got With a base runner and system. Again, it's, with a base runner it, system. It, yes, yes, with a base runner system. Not with the garbage cans and not with the live feed and all that stuff. But – we never got there. And yeah. as I go back to the start of the conversation, there's a standard. So anyway, with that, Evan, we've discussed this long enough, but I could discuss it all day because I'm so proud of you <laughs> and so happy this came out. And I know how hard you worked on it. I know you put your heart and soul into it. I know you suffered with it. And the product is reflecting of all that. And you got it to the right place, man. And that's all you can ever ask, right? That's all you can ever ask when you do a story. It's all you can ever ask, I hope, I would imagine, when you do a book. And for that, man, I could not be happier for you. No, Kenny, I really appreciate it. And uh, uh, I really appreciate all of your help throughout all of it. You know, not just the reporting, but the um, keeping me steady in, during the book process, I know, was, was not always a joy. And uh, I'm glad we have, we have more joyous times now. Uh, we're, 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 we have so much we're already more gearing up for the coming. next lockout. We're four years away, baby. <laughs> I know. Here we go. <laughs> well, anyway, that is Evan Drellick, everyone. We will be back with a mailbag in two weeks. And I want to thank everyone for listening, everyone for subscribing to The Athletic, of course. And again, read the book. It is something else. <laughs>